Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. And this week we're discussing Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood from the comic book series Silver Surfer. How are you doing, Todd? Uh, I'm well. Still um, here. Yeah, I'm we're still face-to-face. Still face-to-face. It's it's wonderful. Probably our last uh, recording in this in this setting for a while. Yeah, and probably our last recording for a while. <laughs> yes, we have backlogged quite a few summer episodes. We're ready for vacation. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna still be releasing episodes they're still gonna come weekly weekly <laughs> yes every every monday look for a we new... just have a bunch saved up so we can have a little uh vacation time we can tease a few episodes that are gonna be li- li- coming out soon listeners might look forward to a little singing in the rain uh for example though actually not that i said that, i think that one may drop after this one <laughs> we just have recorded way out of order <laughs> <laughs> a little north by northwest action yep it's going to be great. Some ancient Greek drama. That's all I'll say about that one, too. But today we are talking about Silver Surfer, who is a Marvel comic book character originally created by Jack Kirby in Fantastic Four number 46, an issue that was scripted by Stan Lee. And the comics that we are talking about are from Silver Surfer numbers one through five, which was a new Silver Surfer title launched in 2014. Dan Slott was the writer and Mike Allred was the artist, but both are simply identified as storytellers in the credits. Interesting. And the volume that we're talking about has been collected as a trade paperback called New Dawn. And in this story, uh, Silver Surfer, who is this cosmic character, we'll get a little bit more into his history when we get to the trivia section, but he's he's a cosmic character with basically every power you can imagine. And he gets a new human companion. Think Doctor Who. (laughs) Perhaps a little bit. There's definitely a Doctor Who vibe to this incarnation of the Silver Surfer. Um, as he goes on crazy cosmic adventures and you see the wonder of the universe with the eyes of a human who's never been off of Earth. So, Todd, how did you first come to Silver Surfer and or this particular version of Silver Surfer? This is my first Silver Surfer story ever. Ever. I've never seen him in the movies. I missed the Silver Surfer movies. Well, he was in the... He was in a Fantastic Fantastic Four Four movie. Rise of the Silver Surfer. Yes, which I missed. Which most people did, which is why that that series ended. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I, I haven't, I don't even think I've read uh, any Silver Surfer, even like as a side character in anything. Not even an appearance. Yeah, I don't think so. Surely, he, was he in Infinity War? We, we did Infinity Gauntlet. Well, he must have been in Infinity Gauntlet at some point, right? Oh, I, he, I think he did show up in Infinity Gauntlet. And he showed up in Planet Hulk. So those are the places you might have seen him before. Did he show up in Planet he Hulk? He was the gladiator that Hulk fought, not, oh, okay. not 
in, in Thor Ragnarok, which borrowed a lot from the Planet Hulk storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, not the good Thor stuff. is the new gladiator and he goes in and finds Hulk there in Planet Hulk. Hulk is the gladiator and he goes into the arena and finds Silver and Surfer. Finds Silver Surfer. Got it. So those are maybe the only your only other exposures to him then. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was very little. I didn't know any of his backstory or anything. So I enjoyed this. This was fun. Uh, Silver Surfer is one of those characters that if you are a hardcore Marvel reader, like he, he's constantly referenced and he's constantly like flitting through things, but he's had trouble maintaining a series. So like, um, he, and I would say Dr. Strange kind of have this situation Mm -hmm. where lots of writers love the idea of Silver Surfer and lots of fans say they like Silver Surfer, but it's not enough to like carry an ongoing series (laughs) for a really long run. Um, so there's lots of Silver Surfer miniseries and lots of Dr. Strange miniseries and lots of like. 12 to 24 issue runs mm-hmm. of silver surfer and then it goes away for a while and they'll show up as side characters in other um, more established character stories and how long did this run last i think uh it was 14 issues okay. but it was always planned to be 14 issues like okay. there there's a if you read all 14 it is structured in a way that it was this wasn't like canceled this okay. was the the story they wanted to tell had to be exactly these 14 issues got it and then I think it was popular enough they may have picked it up for another short run after, but again, it was it was planned to be self-contained little run. Well, some trivia about Silver Surfer. And it, listeners, if you are unfamiliar with Silver Surfer, just imagine a bald humanoid male with a silver body that stands on a silver surfboard in outer space, and you're there. That's it. <laughs> that is that is a Silver Surfer. Um, Jack Kirby he is silver. <laughs> And he's a surfer. He's on a surfboard. And he it, surfs in space. In outer space, yes. Yep, that's, that's it. <laughs> um, Jack Kirby is generally credited as the creator, even though the issue he appeared in, it was, uh, you know, a, St- a Jack Kirby-Stanley collaboration. This was long enough into the Fantastic Four run. Those two, I can't remember how many issues. It was about 100 issues that they did together on Fantastic Four before Jack Kirby moved over to work at DC Comics. Um, but they were at a point in their collaboration where they were absolutely doing um, a comic book scripting style called the Marvel method, which was they talk together about a story idea. The artist goes and draws it. And then the writer looks at the pictures and writes in the words that make sense mm-hmm. to tell the story they talked about. So Stanley wasn't handing him a script. Uh, they just, so, so this was a storyline that introduced in fantastic four, which is a superhero team of uh, Mr. Fantastic. Who's really stretchy. A lot of this is going to sound like the Incredibles because the Incredibles borrowed quite a bit from fantastic <laughs> four uh, invisible woman who can turn invisible and project force fields. The thing who is a giant strong guy who's orange and Rocky and the human torch who can burst into flame. Um, and so there's <laughs> the four of them and they're kind of this family unit and they were um, they're, they're credited with like Marvel's, turn to superhero comics in the silver age. Like they, they did this silver superhero comic and it proved popular enough that the company switched almost entirely to superhero comics, whereas before they were doing lots of sci-fi and horror. So it's a really important historical um, comic book. And Stanley and Jack Kirby were the co-creators of and co- co-storytellers, right. Uh, of so many of these issues. And they get to about 50 issues in, they're going to do a storyline called the Gal- that ends up being called the Galactus trilogy, where this godlike monster that devours planets is going to come and eat earth. And they, they, so they talk about the beats of the story. You heard it right. He's going to come and eat earth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> He's the devourer of planets. I love this, this kind of comic book stuff. And Jack Kirby was the best at drawing <laughs> these kinds of grand cosmic ideas that are so weird. You're like, that shouldn't work. And then you see Jack Kirby doing it, and you're like, it works. <laughs> this, this absolutely works. Uh, so Stanley and Jack Kirby had talked about the story, and then Jack Kirby went and drew it, and Stanley got the script, and he's like, who's this bald guy on a surfboard? Because they never talked about that. 
<laughs> and that's why Jack Kirby's considered the creator of the Silver Surfer, and okay. it's not co-creators. And Jack Kirby said, uh, the godlike being was too abstract. He needs a herald that's going to be in front of him that we can get more interaction with and more yeah. explanation from because you can't go argue with God, but you can argue with God's herald. It's kind okay. of what he said. And and Stanley's like, why is he on a surfboard? And Jack Kirby said, I was tired of drawing spaceships. <laughs> 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 so I have a question for you about this Marvel method. Yeah. Is that how most comics are drawn today? No, most are it's flipped are much t- more tightly scripted today. Uh, so today. often uh, now it would be more common for a writer to write a script and give it to an artist who would then draw based on the script. Right. And the script would um, today. And like, if you're doing a fully scripted issue, often it'll, it'll say page one, panel one. Uh, you know, Mr. Fantastic's face and it'll have the dialogue that's going to be there. Okay. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, sometimes they might even get more specific of like Mr. Fantastic facing, uh, you know, to the left of the panel, something like that. Okay. Like, so it can get very granular. Um, and a lot of this depends on how long the writer and artist have been working together, mm. how much trust there is in the collaboration. If it's a new artist versus a very established artist, you may give them much more, you know, a, a lot more instructions. Okay. Um, however, in the interviews I read about this run with Dan Slott and Mike Allred, it was much more of the Marvel method okay. than what you typically see today. Okay. Um, I, I want to say by the 80s, if I'm remembering correctly, most Marvel comics even had kind of abandoned the Marvel method and gone to fully scripted comics. Uh-huh. Um, but this particular run was kind of a return to, we're going to talk about the ideas uh, and you're going to draw them. And then I'll, I'll write the script <laughs> on, on top cool. of that. Um, <clears throat> Silver Surfer is generally considered, I think the most philosophical character in the Marvel universe um, and writers who tackle him. They're often addressing ideas as much as like, the punchy, punchy fight fight of comics. Okay. Um, you're going to get a lot more philosophical musing about what it means, what, what humanity is, uh, the contradictions within humanity, um, the nature of the universe itself coming from a silver surfer comic. than if you, um, you know, just pick up, uh, you know, a, a Marvel, you know, two in one that features an adventure of the thing and adventure of, mm-hmm. of, uh, the X-Men or something like that. um, one thing that I think is worth noting with that idea about the Silver Surfer, I was teaching a class in college um, of American literature from 1960 to the present was the title of the course. And so it's just I got to choose several highlights of literature that are going to you know explain what's going on in American culture and American arts uh-huh. from 1960 to the present. But one of the texts I, I taught was um, a collection called Marvel Firsts, the 1960s, which is just a collection of first issues of Marvel comics that were published in the 1960s. So you get Fantastic Four, number one. X-Men number one, mm-hmm. Avengers number one. Um, and in the latter end of the 60s, there's a fanta- uh, Silver Surfer number one when Stanley wrote a Silver Surfer series that I want to say ran for like 30 issues. Mm-hmm. And it is by far Stanley's most like philosophical mm-hmm. work. But my students read all of this, like all these first issues of Marvel comics from the 1960s. And so many of them said the Silver Surfer number one was their favorite. Really? Yeah, which was unexpected because, you know, we're in the age of lots of popular Marvel adaptations and yeah. characters that they would have known and recognized. And Silver Surfer is not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> outside of anyone who saw that second Fantastic Four series, you know, sequel. Um, but they really uh, got into the the ideas that were being presented in the, in the Silver Surfer um, issue. Do you think part of it, it could have had to do with novelty as well? Just that is different. Saying, yeah. saying, wow, I didn't even know this guy existed. And it turns out he's really cool. And maybe that. And, and also, I think there's this, uh, it's this great, like, contradictory absurdity of 
it's the silver surfer, <laughs> right? Like, like, do you just say the name and you see the character? And you're like, what in the world? It's yeah. A naked bald guy on a surfboard. <laughs> Basically. He's actually not naked. He's, he's got a suit, suit under there. Yes. He's, he's, he's chromed up. I was a little worried after yeah. when he silvers down. I thought, <laughs> my goodness, I hope this yeah. stays. It's okay for the kids. Don't worry. <laughs> so he's got this chrome coating and he's surfing through space. Like that's an absurd idea. Yeah. And then they use that absurdity to like tackle really deep issues as as they get at it and i think that that um unexpected combination uh is kind of delightful when it it lands kind of what they tried uh, with um guardians of the galaxy volume two it didn't quite work but it didn't quite work yeah it didn't quite like yeah of the recent marvel films guardian galaxy volume two is probably my least favorite of the the most recent wave yes what are they calling it phase three yes that's probably my least favorite of that of that um, just talk, we, we talked a little bit about the process, but Mike Allred, um, the artist, this is, um, a quote that he had from this coming from an interview on a website called 13thdimension.com. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but he said early on, we talked about the overall epic arc. Then we'd usually have a lengthy phone conversation, which pretty much amounted to Dan in storytelling mode, where he'd just start talking everything out, even doing voices and sound effects. Then I'd get a relatively tight outline with page breakdowns and a good gist of what was going to be said between the characters. I'd jump on it and draw everything out, encouraged to play with it to my heart's content. Then dad would take, uh, Dan would take what I did and then do a final script. It was always, a big kick to see how the final published issue would sing given how Dan would pull all of it together. So there's, you know, this give and take of, I'm going to give you an outline, but you do your thing. Then you send that to him and he does his thing. And then, then it all comes together in the end. Um, with the, the uh, series itself, issue number 11 um, won an Eisner Award for Best Single Issue of the Year. It is a trippy read. The entire issue is a narrative Mobius strip. Uh, if you're familiar with the Mobius strip, it's where you take a, f- a flat strip, do one twist, and then connect the ends, and it becomes an infinite loop. Weird. And the way the issue is, um, there's a panel of pages across the top that you you start with that reads left to right. And if you look down, there's a panel of pages. Or, or the panels are upside down. Uh-huh. And, and you read through half the issue, and you and it, like there's little... Um, the panels are drawn in such a way that you, there's an arrow guiding your eyes, so you never get lost okay. as you're reading it. You know you're not you're supposed to ignore what's on the bottom right now. And for the first half of the issue, you're reading the top in one direction. And then at the halfway point, there's a place spread and, and the arrows point you to go jump down to the bottom half of the, the uh-huh. strips. And you read along there until you get to the last page of the issue. And the arrow points you to go back up to the top and you got to turn the comic book over. And then everything that was upside down is not right set up. And you read those and it jumps at the halfway point back in. And there's a certain point where you actually, if I'm remembering, right, it's been a while since I read this. You've got to fold pages together and then what was parts of the story make a new thing <laughs> that gives you a new ending to the story. How cool. Oh, when, when you, like after you circle back to the middle, you're supposed to fold them and you thought you'd understood what those were, but now that gives you the new ending of the story as they break out of this Mobius strip. Wow. Like they're trapped in an infinite loop in the issue. That's that won the best single issue of the year award because <laughs> you're doing something kind of trippy and unique with the comic book form to do that. So that's my uh, my trivia. Todd, you're going to be giving us the summary of the first five issues. Um, oh, I do just want to say, like, without giving too much away, but we already kind of said this has a Doctor Who feel with time travel and everything. I would say the entire 14-issue run is a bit of a narrative Mobius strip, perhaps an infinite loop. And it would reward uh, reading the entire thing. And then it kind of makes you want to go reread everything because huh. things have different meanings once you've gotten to the end and you see a loop <laughs> that, that kind of cycles through. Interesting. 
But before we get on to Todd's summary, uh, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening. And we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to uh, support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. All Patreon, all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right, Todd, why don't you give us the long summary? Okay, it's actually not that long. Yeah, it's five issues, but... Yeah, so here we go. So there are these two little girls, they're twins, and they're standing on their porch, and they watch a shooting star. And one girl wishes that she will be able to travel uh, travel around and see the world. The other wishes that the star will keep flying so that everyone will be able to wish upon it, uh, always. And then we see that the star is actually the silver surfer flying on his silver surfboard. He plans to destroy Earth and give it to his master for consumption. Uh, And now it's 12 years later, and Silver Surfer has been hard at work trying to right the wrongs of his past uh, when he was a herald for Galactus. So he used to go around the galaxy, universe, galaxy. Uh, And he would say, Galactus is coming and he's going to eat your planet. Maybe we should pause to do a quick origin story for the Silver Surfer. Go ahead. Um, So the origin is that Galactus goes around devouring planets and he was about to devour this planet called Zen Law, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was uh, the Silver Surfer's home planet. At that point, he was called Norn Rad. He was a scientist on the planet. And uh, seeing that his planet was about to be destroyed by Galactus, he offered his services as a herald of Galactus, saying, I will go find you planets that you can consume, and that way you don't have to just kind of like wander through the galaxy hoping you come across your next meal. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go find the planets. I'll come back and tell you where to go uh, if you spare my planet. Um, and this is all like backstory that gets added after that first appearance in the Fantastic okay. Four. Uh, and so Silver or Galactus says, fine, I'm going to imbue you with some of my power cosmic. You're going to get coated in silver. He wasn't silver before then. And you're going to get a surfboard. I don't know why. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> because Jack Kirby was tired of drawing starships is why. Uh, and and now Norn Rad, even though the power cosmic and being Galactus is herald, like he's bound to do this deal. Like he can't break this promise. He has to do what he promised. Um, but his goal is always, when possible, to find uninhabited planets for Galactus. And he does his best at that. Eventually, uh, though, in Fantastic Four, like he finds Earth and Galactus is so starving at this point. He's like, this is it. This is the planet that has the energies he needs. I'm sorry it's inhabited. Uh, but then like the Fantastic Four, eventually, um, like their nobility causes Silver Surfer to break with Galactus. And this breaks the, the hold that Galactus had on him uh, with the, the power cosmic. And Silver Surfer ends up spending about 10 years on Earth. And he bounces back and forth between serving Galactus and not at this point. Like he's... A, it, this is the nature of comic books. <laughs> like yes. often he gets rebooted back to where he was at the beginning, but a lot of writers like to explore him being free from Galactus. Okay. Uh, so now it's 12 years later and Silver Surfer, it looks like he's been hard at work trying to right the wrongs of his past uh, when he was a herald for Galactus. And he's um, noticed doing good by these little robot things. <laughs> and they choose him to help save something called the Impericon. Uh, now we cut back to New England, and Dawn is uh, Dawn is one of these twin sisters, and her sister's name is Eve. Just kind of nice names for twins, <laughs> Dawn and Eve. Uh, so Dawn is speaking on the phone with her sister Eve, who has fulfilled her wish and has become a world traveler. Uh, but Dawn is happy at home. She seems to be kind of a homebody. Um, she likes uh, taking care of the family's bed and breakfast with her dad, and she's happy to let Eve 
travel the world. Uh, meanwhile, Silver Surfer makes his way to the Empericon, where he meets the Incredible Zed, who is a guy uh, with like two mouths, and he's a strange-looking alien. Mike already really got to draw a lot of strange-looking aliens in this series. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he get, he meets the Incredible Zed and sees this thing that's called the Empericon, which is this supreme tourist destination um, that has specific safeguards to keep it hidden from heralds. Um, Silver Surfer says, how is it possible that I do not know that this thing exists? And they say, well, it just so happens that we have special safeguards to make it invisible to you. But now we need you to see it because uh, you need to save it. Right. It because, looks- just real quick, I was going to say, after Silver Surfer betrayed Galactus because he was inspired by humanity's nobility, mm-hmm. uh, Galactus thought, I like this Herald gig. It was a lot easier to send someone out to find new planets. So he's had multiple other Heralds since okay. Silver Surfer. Uh, it, the Empiricon looks like Ver- Valerian City of a Thousand Planets. Uh, <laughs> it looks really, really like that. Have you seen the? Have you seen that? I've not seen that movie. Okay. So at the very beginning, um, there's the the International Space Station, and you see like it getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then over the course of I don't know thousands of years or something, it's like uh, turned into this thing that's the size of a planet uh-huh. uh, itself. Just by like things being added onto it, it's really cool. Um, it's one of the coolest things in that movie, which is like I don't know, a mildly cool movie. Uh, <laughs> not the coolest movie, but not the coolest movie, but, but it has a cool uh, planet thing that looks like the Empiricon at the beginning. So back in Maine, uh, Dawn shows some tourists around her family's bed and breakfast. Everything is perfect, but she has a sense of restlessness. Uh, just then, she gets sucked into a kind of space prison. You see, the incredulous Zed has run a machine called a motivator on Silver Surfer to see what his motivations are. Uh, and Silver Surfer has told him that he, he wants to help. He says, you don't have to coerce me into saving your Empiricon. I'm happy to help you on, on my own. Uh, and the uh, incredulous Zed is incredulous and says, I do not believe you. I'm going to bring something in to give you special motivation. And Zed tells him that there's someone called the Never Queen who has unimaginable power and wants the power source of the Empiricon. And the motivator machine imprisons the person or being most important to the person who needs motivation. So they run this scan on you, and it tells the machine the thing that's most important to you, and then they imprison that thing and threaten it uh, so that you will go and do the thing that Incredulous Zed wants you to do. Have I explained that? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and Dawn is, is in the thing. Uh, and we find out that Dawn has been imprisoned as Silver Surfer's motivation, but he doesn't have any idea who she is. And she doesn't have any idea who he is. Uh, Dawn doesn't last long in prison. She quickly finds that another of the aliens get bad acid reflux from the food uh, in the prison, and she uses that acid to melt a hole in the cell. Uh, and so now she and the other prisoners are running free through the Imperagon. And at the same time, Silver Surfer is fighting the Never Queen, and he has a kind of vision in which he sees infinite futures, all with him and Dawn being together. Uh, as Zed watches his plan unravel, uh, a shadowy figure gives him a sword capable of slicing into reality. I, nobody could make this up except for somebody made it up. Uh, a shadowy figure gives him a sword that's capable of slicing into reality itself. And he tells him to go and kill the queen himself. Uh, but Silver Surfer is talking to the queen and finding out some interesting things like that. She hasn't killed him because Don had wished so long ago that he would be safe. So when Don wished on that star uh, that he would he would keep flying, that meant something uh, to this uh, this queen lady, and now she's keeping him safe. Also, he learns that Zed had taken the Never Queen's heart to power the Empiricon, 
and he vows to her that he will get it back, her heart back. But he can't approach the Impericon without being detected. So he steals a spacesuit from a dead guy and draws all of his power inside of him. Uh, and that power is what makes him the Silver Surfer. So now he's just Norrin Rad, who looks like Charles Xavier in a, in a wetsuit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no like wheelchair, like- wetsuit, uh, Charles Xavier. Yeah, bald, bald white guy. Yep, with big eyebrows. Um, and he's, uh, he calls it silver, silver down. I need to silver down where the silver coating around him, uh, gets drawn inside of him. And then he just looks like a and he has person. no power cosmic when he's in that. No power cosmic. So he breaks into the Empiricon and immediately runs into Don and the others. And Don tells him, don't worry, uh, I'll save you. Um, so then they run off together to find the heart of the Never Queen and Don n- knows where it is. And Norin transforms back into the Silver Surfer and uses it to uh, his power to extract the heart and turn it into a toy monkey. Yes, you heard it. A toy monkey. Uh, then they race out to find the Never Queen, uh, but they run into Zed. And he and Silver Surfer fight, and Dawn takes the heart back, and the Never Queen is dying, and with her, all possibilities. So the Never Queen represents all possible futures. And so if she dies, then all all possibilities are lost and everyone will be locked into one uh path path into forever they're 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 fated there's no agency yes i love that andrew's down here just nodding his head like yeah that makes total sense um (laughs) so um Todd, todd You read Infinity Gauntlet. You know these guys are out there. <laughs> I know. I know they are. I know they are. And I just watched Avengers uh, Infinity War again, and I really like it. But And also, you've, you've watched Doctor Who. There's a very Doctor Who vibe to some of these ideas. Yes, there is, but it's just so strange. Like, why did they turn the heart into a toy monkey? <laughs> why? I don't know. Uh, so, Dawn restores the heart, and Norrin kills Zed. And as they fly away, the queen remarks that now that they are together, anything is possible in any given moment. So they, they've uh, restored um, basically agency into the universe and maybe chance also. Yeah. Like, but interesting that both of those things would be anyway. So, <laughs> so this last issue is really weird and it's just one long paragraph. So I'm just going to dive in. Get her done. Let's just... Here we go. (laughs) So they travel back to Earth. They meet the Guardians of the Galaxy on their way in. Then they go back to Anchor Bay, where Dawn is from, and they meet her sister and her dad. And everyone's really nice. And Norrin drops his silver exterior, and he becomes just the regular-looking Charles Xavier guy. Norrin. Then he goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, he decides to leave Earth, since his job there is done. But there's a barrier surrounding Earth, and he can't get out. So uh, now he goes... He has the power cosmic. But he seems to be just thwarted all the time. <laughs> well, his is so when he was Galactus's herald, he had a much larger percentage of the power cosmic. He had really toned down since he betrayed Galactus. But if Galactus gave him all of it, can't Galactus take it all away? I don't. I don't remember. The, I don't think the Silver Surfer ever had all. Okay, of it producer because, Andrew, yes. please enlighten us. Yeah, here. Because the power cosmic is shared and manifested throughout many different characters. Galactus has a significant There's chunk of it. Ego, the living planet. Ego, the living planet has a chunk of it. Is it um, divisible or is it infinite? I would, I would consider it infinitely largely, divisible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> largely infinite because there are a lot of different characters that have pieces of it. And it's like, Oh, you have, you have the power cosmic, which 
implies certain things, like most of them have cosmic awareness, which means they just kind of know the big goings There's on. There's a lot of omniscience going on. Yeah, semi-omniscience. Um, like, and, and not everyone that has cosmic awareness necessarily has the power cosmic, or they have something derived from the power Some cosmic. Some people with so, uh, power cosmic get kind of hand-wavy powers, where it's like, yeah. I want this to happen. I knew it was only a matter of time yeah. before you joined this conversation, and uh, I feel like uh, <laughs> like the level has been yeah. raised. And so Galactus, because he is a big cosmic level, a lot of the characters that we saw in Infinity Gauntlet, like the cosmic level mm-hmm. beings, like like Ego and um, and all of them. Meaning the, the Marvel comic Infinity Gauntlet, not Avengers yeah. Infinity War. Yes. Um a lot of those are... Isn't there the in-betweener? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, like, the Grandmaster from Ragnarok would fall into that category. The Elders of the Universe. A lot of these are just called the Elder Gods. Yeah. Um, so the Grandmaster is a... Yeah, Grandmaster. In the comic books, not in the film Ragnarok. version. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Jeff Goldblum version in Thor Ragnarok, delightful, but not true to the yeah. the okay. nature okay. of okay. the, okay. the Grandmaster. The, 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 the Elder Gods. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of them deal in the power cosmic. And Galactus is part of that category. The Phoenix Force is also um, yeah, often grouped big, big within cosmic this. cosmic force. And so Galactus, from his slice of the power cosmic, uh, gave some to the Silver Surfer and then took... Most of it back. Most of it back. So the Silver Surfer is not nearly as powerful as he once was. Although when he does occasionally make deals with Galactus, he gets, like, all of it back. He can get juiced up. Yeah. As needed. <laughs> um, okay. and, and Galactus... But often yeah. with... Like, it's a contractual thing. He's going to go find yeah. Galactus some planets if he, and, if he goes back to um, Okay. And, and, like, when Galactus uses other heralds, he never gives them as much as he gave the Silver Surfer because he learned his lesson. Yeah, because he thought that was... <laughs> was like, that was too much. That I, was my I, first time. I'm not giving anybody that much. I might time. be omniscient, but I erred. But he can't take it all back. Uh, no, they... they it's, like, infused into his soul or something. There's yeah. residual power. That, yeah. But he can't it, kill him. Because it links into... Or does he not want to? What, the Silver Surfer? Kill the Silver Surfer. Um, Galactus. I don't think he... Uh, his punishment initially was that he was bound to Earth. Yeah. That was... He didn't kill him. He's not big on killing, weirdly. He's for like his heralds. Yeah. For his heralds, he doesn't punish them with death. He's big on devouring, and if you happen to be eaten, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, people he's, like, interacted with. It would be like eating ants. Yeah. But, like, I'll eat a giant sandwich. If there's an ant in the sandwich, so be it. Galactus, not <laughs> but I'm not going to go looking for mm-hmm. ants to eat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. I've, thank you. Yeah. I, I'm not going to go into the origins of Galactus from the previous iteration of the universe or anything like that. Yeah. A lot of these, these people with the power cosmic there, they existed before the big bang. They existed in the earlier galaxy, you know, universe. Yeah. And, and came into this one. Have to admit, there's a part of me that's a little sad that we don't get more of these cosmic characters (laughs) in, uh, in the films, in the MCU. I wish they just own it. But, (laughs) but, there's another part of me that's like totally okay without them. <laughs> yeah. I understand what you're so, saying. Yeah, I can, yeah you, you the, giant, have to... the giant head guy. Ego. E- no, yeah. would, ego. The, the one living... that's just a giant head that floats in space. Ego, the living planet. Yes. Which is actually for the film universe that is uh, Star Lord's dad. Uh, yeah, Star Lord's dad. Uh, but they made him not a giant floating head. The briefly one shot kind of looks that way. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so back to our story. Norin wakes up from his nap. And he tries to get off the planet and he is stopped by a barrier surrounding earth uh, and he can't get out. So he goes back to the bed and breakfast where he finds Dr. Strange and Hulk who tell him that nearly everyone in the world is asleep and the Lord of nightmares will turn the entire world into a giant nightmare. If the sun comes up and everyone is still asleep. So if everybody in the whole entire world falls asleep and then the sun comes up and everybody's asleep, 
then the whole world turns Meaning, into a giant. Like 24 hour. hours, like the full rotation where sure. the sun is going to hit everyone. I guess. Well, I mean, it seems like. Or is it just there in Maine? If <laughs> the sun comes up in Maine, that's the deadline. I guess, I, that's kind of how I read it. Like, I, I, I don't understand the science behind this. I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got a deadline. We've got some tension. We don't want the sun to rise in Maine. We don't want the sun to rise somewhere. <laughs> and we don't want everybody to fall asleep. Uh, so, so stay awake. They say, whatever you do, don't fall asleep. And he says, well, you guys are awake. And they say, actually, we're asleep. Uh, Strange is in the astral plane. Hulk is, um, is sleeping somewhere. Banner. Uh, and let's see. Just so you know, this, this team, teaming up of, uh, Hulk and Dr. Strange and Silver Surfer comes from a Marvel comic book called the Defenders, not the Avengers, right? The Defenders. Not to be confused with the Netflix Defenders. <laughs> right. But the, this group of Defenders were often characters that a lot of fans did like and a lot of writers enjoyed writing, but they weren't popular enough to carry their own series. So they put them all together in one book. Such wonderful nerdery. I feel like we've really... Um, like, we're really dipping deep from the well tonight. I see. I was about to say, we're scratching the surface. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies one of the main differences between you and I, <laughs> which is great. But yeah, Todd, when we get to the Quixote, you'll be dancing in the deep end. Yes. And I'll be scratching the surface. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so even Strange and Hulk are asleep. And um, they're talking to the Silver Surfer in their dream form. And then they realize that even Silver Surfer is asleep because he took that nap, you see. And he shouldn't have taken the nap. So lesson, don't take naps because maybe the Lord of Nightmares is trying to turn the, the whole entire world into a giant nightmare. Now, Todd, as someone who lived for multiple years in Spain, <laughs> <laughs> what is your relationship with nap culture? Uh, I am actually, I must admit, I am 100% in favor of nap culture. <laughs> pro-nap. <laughs> yes, I am definitely in the pro-nap form, although after having read this comic, I, I feel like I, I... There's some danger. You're flirting with... <sighs> I feel like one should at least see, I, I feel like you should be open to all ideas and try them on, see how they feel. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to change your ideas, but you should at least, you know, try to see the world through other people's eyes. So reading this, it makes me see the world through the anti-nap, uh, eyes. But I must say that I, I don't know that I'm going to stay there. You haven't been converted. I don't know that you I've been remain converted. personally pro-nap. Yes. Yes. So you will hope that somewhere someone is anti at least one <laughs> at least person. One person. <laughs> at least one person. I know a lot of people who are anti-nap, so that's good. Um, like all of my students who never sleep. Like as long as there are college campuses on the on the planet, there's no way that this actually happens. And everyone <laughs> on the planet falls asleep at the same time. It's just no way. Um, okay, so uh, so even Silver Surfer's asleep. Only Dawn is awake. She's the only person that's awake so on the entire planet. On the entire planet. So only she can save the Earth from the Lord of Nightmares. So Doctor Strange gives her the magical eye of Agamotto. I almost called it the magical eye of Agamemnon, but then I changed it. It's Agamotto. Stuck in our ancient creek. Yes. <laughs> and the magical eye of Agamotto is actually an eye, like a biological eye that gets sucked into her forehead. So now she has three eyes. So I think Don's pretty cute, but... I don't know how I'm feeling about three eyes. Uh, it sticks in her forehead and makes it look like she has three eyes. Uh, it also gives her the ability to see the truth. So Dawn and Silver Surfer, they run into different people 
only to realize that they are participating in the dreams of these people. So they run into her father who is dreaming. They run into Eve, the sister who is dreaming. Um, then they realize that they're actually inside of silver surfers dream. Uh, eventually they find the room where the Lord of nightmares is asleep. And Dawn tries to wake him up by shaking him, <laughs> but she can't do it. And so then silver surfer sends his board up into space. The board is kind of, um, it's kind of like a dog. It reminds me a lot of Dr. Strange's uh, cape in the movie, in the movies. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I can see um, that there's sort of a, a sentience. Yeah. But like a, like an animal sentience to it. Yeah. Not, not like a person, but like a dog. Magic carpet. In Aladdin. In Aladdin. Like the magic carpet in Aladdin. Perfect. Yes. Um, All of these are also transportation devices. Yes. <laughs> so he sends, he sends the surfboard up into outer space uh, and it reflects the sunlight into the eyes of the Lord of Nightmare nightmares. And he wakes up and everybody else wakes up too. And Silver Surfer decides to head, head out. He says, my work here is done. Uh, and so he's going to leave. But Dawn's sister Eve tells Dawn to go along with Silver Surfer. She says, hey, this guy, you should go along with him because he looks like a uh, Charles Xavier in a wetsuit uh, <laughs> painted in silver and he rides on a surfboard and you should go with him. Um, and so Don says, Hey, uh, what do you think? And silver surfer says, well, we can leave, but we might not be back for some time. And she says, that's okay with me. And, uh, they fly away into space in the end. And they will proceed to have some doctor who esque adventures. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. There was one more, um, there was one more, ep- uh, like issue at the end of my digital comic that I know that you don't have because it's a comic that's written for, Digital, like a digital exclusive. Uh, yeah, but uh, um, because it takes advantage of the like the digital medium, mm. which is I thought it was interesting given our discussion about XKCD, um, where uh, you know the guided the guided yeah. one where you go like uh, panel by panel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does that, uh, but it it's almost like animation mm-hmm. the way that it works. It's it it was pretty cool, um, but it's where they go on this adventure um, out into space. And he says, oh, I'm going to show you this really beautiful thing. And it's like manta rays, like flying in the air um, or something. And uh, she says, yeah, that was like, that was beautiful. And we had this little adventure. And and he says, where else do you want to go? And she says, I want to go somewhere where you've never been. uh, Because I don't want you to show me like the stuff that you've seen. I want to, I want to share something with where you. we're both new. where it's new to both of us. Is there anywhere that you, ha- that you don't know? And he says, are you kidding me? We're talking about the whole entire universe. Of course. <laughs> and so then they go to find something new together. And I thought that was cool. It's funny. You said that like it, it took advantage of the digital one because that um, the issue that I said won the, the Eisner award for best single mm-hmm. issue of the entire year. That is the Mobius strip. I, I went and to like remind myself of how it all worked, I, I went and found a review of it on mm-hmm. a comics website. I can't remember which website I looked at, but they said they had first read it in the digital and it mm-hmm. didn't like, they had to like the digital version chopped it all up because, uh-huh. <laughs> because you like, you didn't see that there was this other story happening upside down on the bottom. Uh-huh. You were just getting the, the one you were supposed to read at the moment. And he said, I didn't like the issue when I read it digitally. Mm-hmm. And then I went to my comic store and I was like, what is going on with this one? And I looked at it and I fell in love with it in the print form. <laughs> so, cool. so like they're finding something that works really well with print and maybe didn't work as well digitally, but they also did something that was exclusively digital that was taking full advantage of the digital. Yeah, yeah it was cool. And I, I was just looking at it on my phone cause I left my iPad at, um, at home 
And it on even on the iPhone, it doesn't do it. Like they, it only works on a tablet size device, not on a phone size device. Oh, okay. But it was, I, I thought it was really cool. At first I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, but it, it was, um, it was engaging. It wasn't like mind blowing, mm-hmm. but it was just nice. The flow of it. Uh, it felt like something between, uh, between uh, a, a, a physical comic and, a, and like an animation. Mm-hmm. It was cool. So, uh, what do you want to talk about with Silver Surfer <laughs> and Don Greenwood? I, I don't even know where to start. I, so, you talked about like that philosophically, Silver Surfer is, um, is one of the more interesting characters. I, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to come clean. I didn't find this to be the most philosophically compelling thing right. that I've read recently. Um, I felt like they were kind of headed in interesting directions, but I wasn't, I didn't walk away from this thinking, wow, that yeah. was amazing. And I will absolutely say, I think um, Slot and Allred get into their bigger ideas in the future volumes. Like this is the, let's get the gang together. Yeah. Story. I, it kind of had that. And, feel and, to and, it. and it ends on like, now the adventure is going to begin. It's kind of how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to start doing our stuff. There was also a very, um, like the stakes felt weird to me or maybe not the stakes. Maybe it was like the denouement or I, I don't mm-hmm. know, but structurally the story felt, um, uh, you know, like the Lord of nightmares. Mm-hmm. So the Lord of nightmares, it's so terrible. And he's the nightmare guy. And then it's like, we'll shine a light in his eyes. And then he wakes up and he's like, Hey guys, all right, I'm out. And then he leaves. And it's like, Okay. Oh well, I guess that was a story, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just it didn't feel. Um, I didn't feel a ton of tension ever. Right. I can't remember what story it was, but I feel like on an earlier episode, I felt like one of the stories that we discussed, the stakes were simultaneously too big and too small. And I think that's kind of yeah. what you feel. You're feeling yeah. with the nightmare one particularly. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll pick one more nit, and then I think I'll be done uh-huh. picking nits. Um. I, I did not love the art in this either. Mike I, Allred. I did not find yeah. Mike Allred's art to be really compelling. And it is distinctive and it is unique and it always looks that way. <laughs> like his art, it's, um, there was it an looks, essay on. It looks like borderline juvenile to me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, I, it looked like. I think some of the, so he also, the coloring is done by his wife, Laura. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's something that almost feels to me maybe a good description to help our audiences. It feels like um, animation cells, but without like the layering and shading that goes on. Right. Like, so it's, it's simple. It's flat in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, there was in uh, ages of the X-Men, an essay collection. I edited a guy named Adam Cap- Capitano who I went to grad school with, but he wrote an essay on Mike Allred's uh, doing an X-Men run. Mm-hmm. That was called um, ecstatics. Um, but the, I remember the title of the essay was called the clean line art school or something. Like mm-hmm. I can't remember. It was something along those lines. Um, but it is a very clear, like you're not gonna find much cross hatching. <laughs> you're not gonna find a whole lot of shading going on. Yeah. It, it, it does look really flat. And some of like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking through this again. I think Dawn looks good almost every time he draws her. Uh, but Hulk looks strange to me. Like so strange that, like this. Uh, this is going to be really good for our listeners. Well, well right no. Like, <laughs> like, when Hulk and Doctor Strange are together at the very beginning, this Hulk. 
Yeah. Uh, and I, I, which by the way, that Hulk is very, it, it's almost being presented as an homage to the very earliest Jack yes. Kirby Hulk. Yeah. Um, so, and I can see that like, I'd say of our modern comic artists in a lot of ways, um, already is actually more akin to the 1960s Jack Kirby art than yes. like a Jim Lee or, uh, who, who else is going right now that is um, kind of iconic like looks. Jim Chung. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Stuart M. Emin. Yes. Yeah. I think it's more affinity art wise with 1960s but era. Yes, it's which, very pop art. Yes. Yeah. And that's a, it a, is very pop. Marvel yes. 60s art is often referred to as pop yes. art. And this mm-hmm. is pop art, not, you know, something. It, it stands out. Whenever you see Mike Allred, it's like, oh, that's Mike Allred. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, it's distinctive. I said juvenile earlier. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to walk back on that and say it, it, it's, it's not to my taste. It doesn't speak yeah, to me. It's, it's not of this time. It feels flat and it feels definitely not of this time. So I remember when he first came on to that X-Men run, which would have been like, I would have been in my late teens. I think when that for ecstatics. Yeah. For ecstatics. Yeah. I was very turned off by the art. Like I didn't even read it because uh-huh. of the art, but like I was just absolutely turned off. Yeah. Um, and this is the first, this silver surfer is the first where I'm like, Oh, I understand why so many people are huge fans of it. Yeah, uh, it took this Silver Surfer for me okay. to, to really get into it. So I completely understand what you're saying. It's not a turnoff in the sense that like, oh, I can't even read this because and there yeah, have it been just things, didn't speak to me. Like the ecstatics one didn't speak to me. Right. At there all. have been things that I've read where the art is um, so stylized that I can't I just can't focus on the story at all. And that was not the case with this. Um, it just um, I I occasionally I will read something where the art is so beautiful mm-hmm. Um and this, it just didn't strike me in that way. But I'm also no. not like, I mean, I've read some of the classic stuff, but it's not, um, it's not really my, my thing either. So yeah, um, it's no, not I, bad art. Yes. I completely just, understand uh, what you're saying. It's just not my style. And, it, and it's unique. Like it, yeah. it does, it's not a house style where like a, a lot of comic artists are kind of like similar enough for Marvel and DC that any Marvel or DC fan that picks it up is you know, just mm-hmm. going to say, this is what Marvel comics look like. And this is what DC comics look like. Mike Allred doesn't do that. He doesn't yeah. conform to uh-huh. do their styles. Um, and it, even reading the silver surfer run, it took me a little while to get into it. Uh-huh. Now I think it's a great match, but okay. I, I understand 100% what, what so you're I really liked on. Yes. Greenland. Which that is their like completely new character. Like silver surfer has been around since the sixties. Mm-hmm. Don Greenwood never existed until this. Um, and it, it for me it, it kind of it, I, we've already said this feels a, a bit Doctor Who ish. We've done at this point three episodes on Doctor Who, yes. and we've never talked about the Doctor, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> oh, we've, we've talked about Sally Sparrow. We've talked about uh, River River, uh, Song. River Song, and we've talked about Victor uh, Van Gogh. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, and I feel the same like urge for this. Like I want to talk about Dawn a lot more than I want to talk uh-huh. about Silver Surfer. Um, I think the like going back to the late 1960s Stanley one where Silver Surfer was the only character for that first issue. Like I'd talk about Silver Surfer, Silver Surfer all day for that. But sure. for this series, Dawn is definitely the character that sings a little bit more for yeah. me. Um, why? I I think she has a lot. I mean, it's so unavoidable to mention Doctor Who again. But Doctor Who, whenever he like, he says, I love humans because mm-hmm. like they get into these impossible situations and the humans like Doctor Who is the one with the experience and the powers and, uh, you know, the knowledge. But there's something, a, a spark to humanity that just fascinates him as yeah. they get, you know, as they find ways you know, to keep going and mm-hmm. keep surviving and being where they shouldn't be. Don has that. Absolutely. Like she, she gets trapped and told you're his most important thing you're trapped until he saves us basically. Yeah. 
And she's like, I don't know who he is. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and she does. And it doesn't feel like, um, you know, I, I hate the term, but sometimes like people's uh, like when there's strong female characters now, a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a Mary Sue. She does not feel like a Mary Sue. Right. Like she just feels like an awesome human yeah. <laughs> that is going to get to go on a great adventure. It's funny when he, when he finds her and she's like, don't worry, we'll save you too. <laughs> and he's like, what? Um, uh, yeah, I really liked Dawn also. Uh, I think her um, her arc is really interesting. It um, you might think that Eve would be the one because she loves to travel and she wants to see the world, and so let's get her into space. Um, and Dawn is very much at home and happy. Yeah, she's content. In, she's not looking for adventure. She does start to have this feeling of unrest uh, that we we get the sense that there's something kind of germinating inside of her. Well, I, I think this maybe, like you said, there's this feeling of unrest. There's a reason she's the one who stays awake <laughs> <laughs> in, in that one story. Yeah, like, I hadn't connected that to you. Just that, the wording you chose, but I think yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so it's not like she doesn't want like she doesn't want to leave, but she seems really happy there. Um, and so it's interesting then at the end that she's willing to just say, I'm going to go do this thing, um, and accept this call to adventure, uh, that doesn't really seem tied to anything. Like there's no MacGuffin. There's nothing for her to go and find. There's no magic elixir or this feels more like the, um, you know, the opening of a TV series where it's like, we're having an adventure of a week. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where, you know, the, the Buffy, the vampire, we're, we're building this world in the pilot. Now there's gonna be a monster of the week. Now yeah. you understand why there's gonna be a monster of the week. And this one, we're building this world. Now you understand why she's gonna be on an adventure on a new planet every week. Basically. Right. And, and you have to, I mean, I have to believe knowing that they ran this for 14 uh, issues and from what you've told about the structure and, but the, there's more than that. It's more than yeah. just an excuse to have a monster of the week story. Um, but it is, it is interest. It's always interesting to me when somebody goes on adventure without really any purpose, except I just want to be gone. Um, when, and especially in this case, when she doesn't really well, want to be gone, like sometimes it's, I want to be gone cause I need to escape yeah. the small town life or I'm feeling trapped or I'm in a bad situation. It's none of those things. Right. She's not, she she's doesn't content. live in district 12. She's not <laughs> kicking rocks on Tatooine. She's. She's really happy and running the bed and breakfast. Yeah, she's not living in the basement, you know, under, uh, covered under the stairs of abusive aunt and uncle or yeah, any of that. She is clearly <laughs> attracted, physically attracted to um, Norid. Norin. Red. Uh, and and he seems to be also to her. I mean, there is there is some chemistry between them, uh, which is maybe a little bit different than uh, the Doctor Who, which... Uh, There's often attraction going on there with the, with the, with the rose with rose there was yeah <laughs> but um but it does it's not like the staple of yeah of doctor who um i agree with what you said about her her kind of her uh plucky human nature and her willingness to uh jump in and have an adventure to take care of what needs to be taken care of um i like all of that uh, and and it makes it just nice to read um i keep i'm kind of like Bouncing these philosophical ideas in my head. I don't know if you want to dig into this uh, or how much. Um, the first one is the, what's her name? The queen of the. Never. Never something. Never sphere. The queen of. Uh, hang on. I'll find There's it. a lot of big idea words being tossed together. The incredulous Zed. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, uh, the never queen. She's yeah. called the never queen. There we go. We have the right words. Just the wrong word. <laughs> So the Never Queen, um, I think this, 
I don't even know how this works in my head. Like I'm trying to imagine what it, what it would be like to live in a world with no possibility where po- the, the, the idea of possibility is non-existent. I mean, I guess it's what you were saying before where there's no agency or, and there's also no chance. Yeah. Like just, I, I, you know, the, the weird sisters could really have a 100% track record of making prophecies at that point. <laughs> this was going to happen. And it is. <laughs> um, it also, I mean, it, may, it it does make me think about just conversations um, that I've listened to in uh, various podcasts recently and conversations that I've had in, in class with my students about, um, about agency and how much agency do we really have and how much of what we do is determined uh, whether by biology or physics or uh, context. Um, and uh, it seems to me that the closer we get to now, the more determined our actions are. Um, and that the further out we push, the more variability there, there is. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe everything for infinity is just more of that now. <laughs> like this is my next yeah, I mean, step. Like every, but there, I mean, there are arguments to make that say, you know, because it's all just causalities. And that one thing leads to the next leads to the next and that we're all being pushed along in this stream. Uh, and that everything that we think is agency is really just, uh, faded. Yeah. It's just a, it's an illusion, the illusion of agency. Um, and I, I mean, we talk, you talk about the, the ancient Greeks and like these external, external forces that are pushing on us, whether they're, um, whether they're divine or natural, uh, it is true that there are often lots of forces pushing on us. Um, and it, it makes the idea of agency really challenging. I was talking to a guy the other day, um, at church and we were talking about the importance of, um, like rules and regulations, uh, with regards to, um, youth activities at church. And, uh, he said, um, we were talking about how it doesn't have, it's not a matter of trust, right? Like, it's not that I don't trust the people at church. Of course I trust the people at church. They're good people, but I also don't trust anybody at church because <laughs> I don't really know what's going on. He said, as long as there's not, he said, I think I can trust you. And I'll tell you, you can trust me as long as there's not a tumor pressing on my brain. Cause if there's a tumor pressing on my brain, then all bets are off. Right. <laughs> then uh, the, because it's true. Like there are physical things that can, that can happen that can completely remove our agency. And, um, and some of them are very obvious and some of them are more subtle. Uh, but man, it's, it's a tricky thing to navigate. And mm-hmm. so, uh, one of the things that I, I think I appreciate about this story is kind of bringing that just sort of bringing it to the surface and making you, huh, that's a, an interesting thought. Like yes. that there's, that there's a God out there, or a, a goddess who her sole purpose of existence is to maintain the idea that there are multiple possible futures and that if she dies, then all of those possible futures die. And there's only one course that's set and, and everything's set in stone. And it's, it's one thing that I love with these big, bold cosmic stories of comics. Like it's trippy. It's weird. It doesn't act like you can't really like say, well, how would that work? Because it breaks down, but you can enjoy it like you're just in for the ride <laughs> as, as uh, you know, we got we have the Never Queen, the embodiment of chance and infinite possibility. And she's yes. a physical embodiment. And if you kill her, 
those are gone. <laughs> like, that's really weird. <laughs> but it's glorious. <laughs> it it's is also amazing that someone said, let's go ahead and make that an embodiment. <laughs> yes. Um, I just had this one other thought, which is, and I think we've mentioned this before, but um, if you watch on YouTube, uh, these, well, on, there's these Nova, the Nova specials on um, the fabric of the cosmos. And there's one about time. Um, if you just want your mind blown, uh, you should go and watch this. Um, there, uh, I think it's Brian green is the, uh, the, like the host of the show. And he's a physicist at Columbia or somewhere. And, um, he talks about the idea that all of time already exists. And, uh, and it seems like if you just believe in math and physics, um, that all of time already exists and that, uh, we are, our consciousness is like hurtling forward into a future that's already there. Um, which also kind of, uh, can, um, make you think deeply about agency. <laughs> this is like, right? what, these are the moments where like science and religion meld in really unexpected places. Yes. <laughs> Wait a second. How are, how is this all going to go? Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting thing, but then you have, um, things like like c.s lewis when he talks about the way that god views the world uh he describes almost almost perfectly what brian green is actually saying about, as science as is science yes c.s lewis is talking about theology yes and he's <laughs> saying that god exists some some in some way outside of the loaf of bread that is the the time of all of the universe um, time and space. It's the time space loaf that, uh, that Brian Green talks about. And the God exists outside of that, which is why all of time and space is present to him because it all already exists. Um, and, and, and yet somehow we still, our, our choices still matter and we still are able to exert agency on this. It, it's, it's strange. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, but, uh, but anyway, another thought that I had as I was thinking about this, uh, the, the, what's her name? The never queen, the never queen, <laughs> the never queen and her uh, being heart, it. <laughs> her heart that's been cut out by incredulous Zed. And she has this giant like hole in her, yeah, it's just a gap. In her yeah, chest. Yeah, yeah, there's just a giant chest wound. It's all, uh, it's all really strange. I thought she was more interesting than, um, than the nightmare of the Lord of Nightmares. Yeah, I, I don't know if if there's anything you have more more to say about um, Never Queen. Again, it's just I I love this part of comic books <laughs> when they just say we're going big, we're going bold, and we're throwing the ideas out there. And um, please come along <laughs> and and just uh, accept it as we have again this physical embodiment of infinite possibility. Who's had her heart cut out by a character named Incredulous said. <laughs> <laughs> who lives in Valerian city of a thousand planets. Yes. Um, yeah. Again, I don't, I don't think that they just, I, I felt like this was a setup mm -hmm. more than a story. And I agree. And even like when I said like, okay, they had their 14 issue arc and some of it is going to be a movie strip. And like, as you were saying some stuff, I'm like, Oh, that's how that one connects. Okay. <laughs> like even as you're saying some stuff about this setup, like when you said like, she wished for you long ago, like mm, not the 10 years ago. <laughs> 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 we think it is. Cause the, and, and it gives you everything here to make us think that. Right. And in some ways, these are the stories that I, like, I really love engage with them, but they're really hard for us to talk about on this podcast yes. where like, okay, it's like a four issue or a four season TV show. And you really need all four seasons to understand right. what the story is. We can, 
never really tackle those in, mm-hmm. in this format. Um, and I don't think I really like thought through how much like, like this circles back and like, it's, it's, it's supposed to make you reassess what you, what's come before when you get to the final chapters of the story that they wanted to, to tell with, uh, with Dawn and, and silver server. Yeah. I think, I mean, if, if, if anybody's still listening, <laughs> I would say my recommendation would be if you're, if you like comics and if you're interested in these philosophical things, um, I wouldn't stop at issue five. I think you should continue going. <laughs> do do their 14 issues. Um, because if you stop at issue five, it's like, okay, I kind of get who Silver Surfer is. This Don Green, she guess, seems like a cool person. It feels kind of like the pilot of a TV series. Yeah. And I can see that they're capable of going big, but I, I, I'm not convinced for a second that this is as big as they could get or that this is the end game. Right. But like, also there has to be more to this. Talking about the, some of the issues we run into with some stories that we want to talk about this podcast. If we went and talked about, you know, issues 10 through 14, that wouldn't make any sense. either. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to, uh, sometimes we got to pick what we want to talk about. And I think Don Greenwood particularly is a character worth discussing. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> um, and, and I, I think, it would be fun for anybody to, to continue her story. I would like to continue her story. Um, part of what makes this podcast hard is that we do a new thing every single week. And so uh, I don't always have time to, to dig in as deep as I would like to. I feel like there's, um, there's enough skill here in storytelling and the characters are interesting enough that I trust that the rest of this is good. And, and uh, of course I trust your, uh, your opinion on these things. Right. When, uh, just about Dawn, um, entertainment weekly had an article when they were wrapping up there for 14 issues. And I can't remember who wrote it. I'm sorry. We'll get the link in the show notes for the actual article, but I, I lifted a quote out about Dawn it says indeed, much like spirited away's cheerio Dawn often convinced enemies to see the error of their ways and made instant friends with many of the colorful aliens she and the surfer encountered in their travels. Her humble beginnings as a manager of her family inn never prevented her from standing up to beings as terrifying as Galactus himself. It's always hard to introduce a new character to a canon as rich and complex as the Marvel Universe, but Slot and Allred succeeded at making Dawn complex and relatable without falling into any manic pixie dream girl-like tropes. <laughs> Allred says it took lots of lengthy phone calls for him and Slot to get her exactly right. Um, and in another interview that I read with Allred, he said, he said like, it, uh, as they were wrapping up, like for him, the weirdest thing was not having Dawn every day in his life, <laughs> um, both in terms of like talking about what her next adventure was going to be and drawing, drawing those adventures. I, um, he has just real quick, Dawn, for a lot of these issues, she's wearing this red, like, it's kind of like a ladybug dress. Ladybug dress, huh? And uh, he was asked like, okay, well, they, he had given some lengthy answer about what Slot's greatest contribution was. And then they said, well, what, what was your contribution? He's like, oh, maybe the dress. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Dan Slot expected a ladybug dress. <laughs> but it's, it, like, it's just a great, instantly iconically recognizable thing yes. for Dawn, which um, for comic books, particularly for characters that are going to be drawn by lots of different artists. Like if you make a character that sticks, you know, lots of, lots of different artists um, are, are going to be drawing them. That's one reason why like combo costumes are where they are. Superhero costumes are where they are. It's bold and it's instantly identifiable. Mm-hmm. Even if facial features shift some um, with different sure. artists drawing and Don, who isn't a superhero is just a normal human who happens to be on this adventure. She ends up with a costume that's instantly identifiable. Yeah. Um, one of the, I, I, I liked one of the things in here about her humble beginnings um, and that they don't prevent her from standing up to beings as terrifying as Galactus himself. Um, and I love when he, when, when, uh, Silver Surfer shows up at the bed and breakfast and her dad's like, Oh, Hey, you know? <laughs> and he's like, 
I am the you know, Herald of Galactus. The Herald of Galactus, <laughs> and I come from outer space, and I fly on this uh, silver surfboard. And his dad's like, you should really try the soup. It's good. And he's like, well, I don't know. And she's like, silver down and, and eat the soup because it's delicious. Um, and uh, I know a lot of people that I think are like that, that like the whole world could be ending and they'd be like, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll make some soup and we'll be fine. You know, like <laughs> uh, they just, there are some people that it seems like nothing conveys. Um, and I like being around people like that. Uh, and I, I, I thought. Don and her dad and her sister were pretty cool. I don't remember for some reason what you were just describing. Maybe think of Kong Skull Island, which on the whole was a fairly forgettable film. Yes, <laughs> but <laughs> there was one moment after uh, the military has just like had all their choppers destroyed by a giant gorilla, and uh, those who are surviving are gathered together. And there's the soldier who's just he's opening a can of beans and like eating it with the knife. I think, <laughs> and someone else is like wandering around, like really freaked out. And he's like, "Didn't you see the giant gorilla?" And the guy just looks at him and goes. That was an irregular encounter. <laughs> and he keeps eating, eating. Like that moment was one of my favorite moments of the entire film. Like just, you know, yeah. Okay. That was really weird, but I'm hungry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say overall, I would say, I think this is a fun story. Uh, I think there's um, way more that's promised than, uh, than we see in these five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that it's only 14 issues, um, it's the kind of thing I would say, you know, go for it yeah. and, and read it. It sounds like there's interesting things that come in the future. Um, so that's, I don't know what else I have to say about this. <laughs> um, I do just want to, like, we've talked a lot about Don. I just want to say Silver Surfer, like, remains for me, like, this fascinating enigma of the Marvel Universe. Uh-huh. Uh, just, again, like, all these great contradictions. Like, it's just such a stupid idea to have a guy on a surfboard in outer space. And yet he's so embedded in the Marvel mythology at this uh-huh. point that I don't even question it, but I got to like, it's hard for me to get into the minds of like the first reader who's like silver surfer. <laughs> like, like I don't remember my first encounter with yeah. the silver surfer. He's just one of the key players in the Marvel universe. But it seems so much stranger than anything else. Exactly. Yeah. Like at a certain point it's like, okay, especially in the, in the cosmic stuff. Yeah. in the, in the cosmic, we, we've, we've touched on a lot of the cosmic stuff, but the, uh, I mean, he was introduced like Galactus was one of the first, huge cosmic beings uh-huh. like now at this point if you even are, like are engaging with the marvel cinematic universe much less the tens of thousands of issues in the marvel comic universe they, they've gone big and cosmic in ways yeah. that are unexpected right yeah <laughs> like uh star lord's dad is ego the living planet <laughs> right? well yeah i mean i remember when they when they announced where they were headed man was it with Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah. Where, where, yeah, we're going to do a team with uh, one human and a raccoon and a talking tree. <laughs> it was, when was it that they announced this stuff? I remember it was when I was living in Cedar City. So it, it would have been, I don't know, five years ago or six yeah, years ago. For that Guardians they, of the Galaxy? That they announced like, okay, this is our this is our plan moving forward. And they had announced some stuff that didn't get done. Right. They announced the Inhumans movie. Inhumans and, and other things. And I remember thinking we had talked about... Uh, Infinity Gauntlet, and they had said that they were going to do some Infinity stuff. And I remember thinking, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I've read that comic, and there is some strange stuff that happens. Um, and by and large, uh, like today, I said I I watched it again today, and it works. Like it works on the screen, and I don't know how, uh, but it does. I know that some people in present company think that maybe it didn't work as well. <laughs> Did you like it? You liked Infin- Infinity War. Yeah, but it's not it, it's not top tier for me. Okay. No. 
And I, I mean, we mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy, which is one of their most out there franchises. The second yeah. one for me is one of their lesser films yes. that they've done. Yeah. Uh, but still, obviously, audiences didn't feel that way. <laughs> like, it made a lot of money for Marvel. <laughs> yeah, well, they could, I mean, I don't know. I feel like they they have earned a wide, um, I don't know, like a, like a broad license <laughs> at this point. I think fans are pretty much on board and especially given the state of the of the MCU now after Avengers Infinity after War Infinity War a lot of people are going to be going to see what comes next yes yes <laughs> yep i'm baking on it and there's going to be big i'm just telling you i'm saying it right now it's going to be big things revealed in Ant-Man and Wasp so everybody needs to go see it <laughs> multiple times yes. probably to really appreciate yes. <laughs> i realized today that one there is a character from arrested development in Avengers Infinity War i, I heard that there were cuz um I the Russo said, brothers uh, who directed it worked on Arrested Development and Tobias, Tobias there. shows up in the background of one scene as the blue man from his blue man group phase in Arrested Development when he wants to join the blue man group in the background of one shot. It, 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 it's in the uh, collector's hall. So right? I was watching it today. He's there I, in a cage as the blue man. <laughs> and I was watching, I was watching um, the, the credits and not even reading the credits. I was like talking to my dad and stuff. Yeah. And I glanced up at the screen and it just was like going to the, was it go to the bottom or the top of the screen? They go bottom to top, right? Uh So it was, it was getting to the top of the screen and it said permission for use of arrested development character, something, something. And I was like, what? So I, well, I, I never saw up. yeah i didn't Tobias see it in the there. film i saw the film twice and i didn't never noticed him no. but i've seen I'm a, looking for him next uh, a capture uh, you know an image of him i'm sure there. i'll see it again yeah and that wraps up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all of the other great dueling genre shows go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank nick english who, can, who designed our logo I'm just giving him a moment to say, you're welcome, as we found out that <laughs> he does that. Uh, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 37, when we talked about Marvels, or episode number 151, when we talked about The Vision. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow Protagonist Pod, Todd K. Mack, Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Diz Minute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we love we, we would love for you to stop by and say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Um, yeah, I'm good. Are you good? I don't have the script up, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering if you have anything else to say about this. No. We went pretty far afield at the end. <laughs> all right. All I'm sure right. Andrew will uh, make it all sound great. Go away. Go away, <laughs> yes. <laughs>